Today's episode of This Week on Broadway is being brought to you by ExpressVPN and by Raycon Earbuds. Listeners can get ExpressVPN for three months free if you sign up at expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio. With Raycon Earbuds, if you go to buyraycon.com slash broadwayradio and use the code BROADWAY15, you'll receive 15% off. Often rewound the clock since the Puritans got a shock when they landed on Plymouth Rock. If today any shock they should try to stem instead of landing on Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Rock would land on them. Was looked on as something shocking, but now God knows anything goes. Good authors, too, who once knew better words, now only use for letter words writing prose. Anything goes. Hello, and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, August 16th, 2020. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Good morning. Peter, do you have any uh, food for thought for us today? Yes, I do have some food for thought, because tomorrow you will be able to see a live show at Theater 80 St. Mark's, uh, which uh, was the original home of uh, your good man, Charlie Brown, way back when. And uh, Susan Charlotte, the indefatigable Susan Charlotte, is doing two one-act plays, Mrs. Sorkin by Christopher Durang, and I Can't Imagine Tomorrow by Tennessee Williams. Anthony Marcellus is directing, and Katie Huffman, the Tony winner from the producers, and Nathan Darrow will be doing the shows. If you'd like to attend, it's free. It's free. 646-366-9340. 646-366-9340. And by the way, Arthur Lawrence once said to me, he loved the way I gave phone numbers on uh, when I uh, when I left messages because I repeated them slowly <laughs> and I repeated <laughs> I did it twice. So as a result, six four six three six six nine three four zero. No excuses now. See you there tomorrow. All right, I will put that in the show notes as well, in case uh, you want to get a link to that and see the phone number itself. <laughs> also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He is the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FileSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, have you spent the uh, last couple of days looking at a street scene? Uh, Well, I did come across uh, complete on YouTube, the 1931 film version of Elmer Rice's street scene, which is so fascinating because it's so old. Um, And you see something that old and you uh, think you're watching it. And in some ways, it seems so incredibly dated and there are all these ethnic stereotypes in it and uh tropes plot elements things we've seen done countless times over the years and 
but then you think, you know, this is so old that it might be like the first time <laughs> that some of these were ever in in a play. Uh, it, it, the play was on Broadway in 1929, and the, the movie, as I said, is 1931. And the screenplay is actually credited to the playwright, Elmer Rice. So it seems uh, to me that it's pretty much a much of it is a word-for-word -word adaptation of the play, maybe just edited a bit. Um, and it's a story of uh, 24 hours, uh, how 24 hours elapse on the stoop of a Hell's Kitchen tenement as a microcosm of the American melting pot interacts with each other during a summer heat wave. And uh, the climax is a, a murder, which I, I won't say more about that, but... Uh, there's a there's certainly an, enough drama in it, and one might even say melodrama. But I I still live in Hell, Hell's Kitchen, so that's mm -hmm. another reason that it had interest for me. Um, the only actor, two actors in it that I think most um, people would recognize nowadays are Beulah Bondi as Emma Jones, uh, just one of the local women who has something to say about everything that's going on in the building and in the neighborhood. And Sylvia Sidney as the, um, I guess, the young female lead who's trying to, uh, you know, hopefully maybe escape through one, one way or another. And um, it really is fascinating and also fascinating because uh, it did serve as the basis for the musical or opera, depending on your terminology, uh, of the same title, Street Scene, with music by Court Vile, a uh, book by Elmer Rice is how it's built, and lyrics, I always forget this, lyrics by Langston, Langston Hughes. Langston Hughes, isn't something? Yeah, no, so yeah. that alone, you know, makes this that incredibly historic, and that was 1947, and there is a, an original cast album that's very good, but uh, necessarily very truncated. I guess that was right at the end of the 78 era, um, so they didn't even have uh, LPs as a, you know, to give them some more room uh, to get more of the score on. But there's um, at least one, uh, I forgot to look it up, at least one uh, complete recording mm -hmm. since then, uh, mm -hmm. modern recording. So I would definitely check out um, both the, uh, the musical slash opera on on audio if you can uh there that may be on youtube as well but this um this full video of of the movie from 1931 on youtube and in quite good quality i i, I really highly recommend it there's some amazing um location photography at least right at the beginning and the end and then i think most of the middle of it is a set but um even the set is <laughs> There's one part of it where they have a long shot of of, a, of the street with an elevated tr subway and uh, hundreds of people in the street, and I honestly do not know if it was location or a set. If it was a set, it was massive, um, but it's really interesting. It's mostly a, a very intimate story, but then it opens up for that just briefly to show you this teeming neighborhood of Hell's Kitchen, uh, you know, back back in the day. Just really fascinating. Um, there was a production about 20 years ago by a, a, an ambitious little company uh, called Willow Cabin Theater. Now, they had had a great success by putting on Thornton Wilder plays. They got to Circle in the Square, and they even got some Tony nominations. And everybody said, wow, this, this company is really going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then they did Street Scene, and it wasn't as well received. I thought it was a fun 
fine production. And I certainly judged it by what it achieved rather than what it didn't. Because again, as Michael points out, this is a play with a lot of people. And um, the fact that they reduced it as well as they did at one of those 42nd Street theaters before Theater Row really happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it was really, I thought, very impressive. And I was very surprised that the critics were so harsh on it. Um, So it was not the first time I saw the play, by the way. The first time I saw the play was at Northeastern University. And at the time, I was assistant manager of a hotel. And a guy came in for a job one day, and he came into the office and I said, you were in street scene at Northeastern. He thought, I've got the job. I mean, this is great, you know, (laughs) and I hired him, you know, I mean, and he was very good on the desk because, you know, actors are such good uh, public relations people. So um, I also saw the opera at uh, City Opera in the good old days when they were at the State Theater. Oh, yeah. And that was really something as well. I would say that that was like in the late 70s, early 80s, maybe. Mm. Um, I don't know if we saw the same production at the same time, but I um, think so. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so street scene is really something. Um, so, uh, um, <laughs> Elma Rice also wrote dream girl, um, right. not dream girls, dream <laughs> girl, singular. Uh, and ironically enough, there was a production in Philadelphia a couple of years ago and uh, well, I had to see it. I mean, you know, it became a musical called skyscraper, but I understand that Peter Stone took very little of it. Well, anyway, so they had a picture of Elma Rice there, which they got from Google. Unfortunately, it was Arnold Stang's picture. But um, anyway, they made a mistake because if you do Google, you know, Google Images, you get so many other pictures from other people and other things that you're not looking for. Right. So um, so they made a mistake and had Arnold Stang's picture, which was really kind of funny. But um, anyway, it was worth seeing Dream Girls, uh, Dream Girl. Sorry, girl. singular. Yep, yep. <laughs> One girl. One special girl. <laughs> so I'm... Um, d- um- Diving into IBDB, and it's got uh, Street Scene, the play, and it's got Street Scene, the musical, mm-hmm. uh, and the the play predated the movie, at least according to IBDB versus IMDB. Uh, but the thing that was interesting to me is that they list the top line of the credits as the house manager is William Brady, the theater is leased by William Brady, and the uh-huh. theater is owned by Brady Enterprises, Inc., <laughs> Which uh, and it was produced by William Brady, <laughs> so I, it's a different way of uh, of of doing um, doing business these days. Is uh, that I think that would almost be called self dealing in these days if you <laughs> are are owning a theater that you're leasing to yourself for <laughs> a production. Well, I wonder if he had anything to do with Anthony Brady Farrell, who was the producer of what I consider to be one of the worst musicals ever, uh, which also has one of the worst titles ever, and that is Ankles Away. Um, you, know, you know, of course, it's a, a pun on um, Anchors Away, but Ankles Away does not suggest high comedy to me. And um, I think if you listen to the original cast album of Ankles Away, you may come to the same conclusion. Um, there's a song called Nothing Can Replace a Man. Uh, throughout the world of science, no one's found a new appliance that ever can replace a man. <laughs> that's not true, as we all know. But anyway, that's another story. But um, I do believe that Ankles Away is one of the worst titles for any Broadway musical. And um, Anthony Brady Far- Farrell really took a bath on it, trying to make a, a go of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, this William Brady, who I didn't know his name just before a moment ago uh has hundreds of broadway credits no kidding interesting yeah unknown to me yeah very interesting so 
Peter, you mentioned Ankles Away is a terrible, yeah. terrible name yeah, for is, a show. Yeah. What are some other terrible names of shows? I think the worst one of all um, is for a play that was done in 1956. Now, it, it ran two performances. Now, most shows don't run two performances. And I don't even mean it. I mean, a lot of shows, um, there has to be a thousand shows that ran four performances. They open on Thursday, they close on a Saturday, they do a Saturday matinee, and they have four performances. But this show opened on a Monday. And it closed on Tuesday. They didn't even run the whole week. I mean, you know, you sh- shows close in one night. You know, yes, but two performances is really rare. And the show was called Sixth Finger in a Five Finger Glove. I mean, can you imagine saying, hey, hey, guess what? I nabbed two tickets for Saturday night for six finger and a five finger glove. I mean, of course I had to go to a scalper. I mean, what could I do? I mean, after all, this is six finger and a five finger glove. You know how um, the demand for the, the, the interesting credit more than anything else was it had incidental music and it was by Charles Strauss. It was oh. his first job. Um, nothing much happened to the playwright. And um, I have to say too, that um, yeah, there, there wasn't much star power attached to the show. Certainly decent actors by all means decent actors don't misunderstand me um uh, joseph campanella and conrad bain uh was certainly in it as well jimmy comack was in it uh, he's one of the ball players in damn yankees who sing heart and i wonder if this is i, I haven't checked uh, if this was his first job i hope he didn't leave damn yankees to be in sixth finger in a five finger glove <laughs> but um anyway uh two performances and out and i would recommend that as one of the worst titles ever okay Michael, what are some of the worst titles you know of? Oh, the first two that leapt to my mind were um, one that I remember when the show was playing, many people commented on what a horrible title it was. And that was Whose Life Is It Anyway? Hmm. Which is about someone who's dying. Uh, But to me, and I guess to other people, the title just sounds kind of jokey. Um, so I, uh-huh. I, I think that, uh, I mean, that was my interpretation of it and, and apparently at least some people shared my opinion. So that, that was a really bad one. And then one, I remember, um, we talked about, we've talked about in the past and at the time I, I thought it, and I still think it was souvenir, the show about Florence Foster Jenkins. I absolutely loved that show when I saw it off Broadway at the York. This is the one about, yeah, about, as I said, Florence Foster Jenkins, who uh, was a very rich uh, New York society woman who uh, would rent out places like Carnegie Hall and give recitals, even though she had one of the worst singing voices in the history of humanity. Um, and as many of many of our listeners know, there was eventually uh, not that long ago a movie a movie made about her with Meryl Streep. Uh, but the souvenir was before that, and it was with Judy Kay uh, off Broadway, and it was enough of a hit that it moved to Broadway. But I think it was around that time that I started to say to people, you know, I wish they kind of would change the title. Because I don't think that um, it, it. I don't think it tell. It, first of all, it doesn't tell mm-hmm. you anything about the show. But also, mm-hmm. it just doesn't sound right uh, for the content. I, I, I was thinking it should have been something like um, years ago. There was uh, 
a compilation album of Florence Foster Jenkins that was put out by, I think maybe it was RCA and it was called the glory, glory of the human voice. Yeah. <laughs> the glory of the human voice with, and after glory, there was a, in a parenthesis, there was a question mark or two or maybe three. Yeah. Um, so that would have been uh, something, or it could have been something, a title like, um, you know, the, the worst singer in the world or something like that. It, it just needed to be a little more specific, but um, the show, as much as I loved it, was a big flop on Broadway, probably for several reasons. Um, uh, if it had come after the movie of Florence Foster Jenkins, maybe it would have done much better. But I, I remember talking to Judy Kaye somewhere uh, not long after. And I said, and I brought it up and I said, you know, I said, um, I don't know if you agree with me, I said, but I, I just think that maybe a big part of the problem was the title. And she said, oh, it's a terrible title. <laughs> she said, it just, ma- it, just sound- it just sounds, uh, she said something like, it just sounds like you're going to go see something old. You know, it doesn't give you any idea of the, the, the humor or, the, or the, the content or the, the perspective of it. Maybe off key. Maybe that would have been a good title. Yeah. That, oh, that's, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. But if we're going to talk about another bad one, I would recommend Blood, Sweat, and Stanley Poole. Now, (laughs) this was a play that uh, did better than Six Finger and a Five Finger Glove. It lasted 84 performances in uh, 1961. But the uh, really interesting thing about this is this was a collaboration by two brothers, James Goldman and William Goldman. Ah, and of we course, know them. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, James Goldman, of course, uh, will always be remembered for Follies. And William Goldman uh, may be remembered for The Season, a book that I promote endlessly, but <laughs> also uh, as the screenwriter of All the President's Men and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, for which he deservedly won Oscars. And um, But um, this was a play that starred Peter Fonda, and also in the cast uh, were um, John McMartin and Darren McGavin, who had careers, and also Peg Murray, who has to be the luckiest Tony winner of all time. Peg Murray won for playing Fraulein Cost in Cabaret back in 1967. Now, how did this nothing part um, get a, a Tony nomination, let alone a win? Well, that was the year that one of the musicals was I Do, I Do which had no supporting people at all. It was also the year of the apple tree, where there was only one uh, woman of, sequ- of uh, significance, and that, of course, was Barbara Harris, who won. Hmm. Um, so times were tough in the supporting actress category, and as a result, Peg Murray uh, won, and I'm sure that even she would admit that uh, she was the luckiest Tony winner ever. But she was in Blood, Sweat, and Stanley Pool, so she's entitled to some sort of happiness after being in a play like that. We all have spent a lot of time at home for the past six months. And I don't know about you, but I'm out of things to watch. ExpressVPN lets you access the internet as if you're from a different country. Netflix has different programs available depending upon where you are. With ExpressVPN, you can unlock thousands of new shows and movies from streaming libraries around the globe. For example, I use ExpressVPN to watch Star Trek Discovery, which is available on Netflix UK. If you are outside of the U.S. and want to watch Broadway HD, ExpressVPN can be your solution to see great shows online. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. You can stream everything in HD quality with zero buffering. 
ExpressVPN is available on every device, phones, laptops, tablets, even your own TV. ExpressVPN works with many streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and many more. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. It's so simple to use. Just fire up ExpressVPN app, change your location, hit connect, and then refresh the page and the show or movie that you want to watch will magically appear. If you use the Broadway Radio link right now at expressvpn.com slash Radio. You can get an extra three months free of ExpressVPN. That's expressvpn.com slash Broadway Radio. And thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting Broadway Radio. Michael, what other uh, names uh, that were not so much serving the uh, property itself? Um, two others I came up with were Is There Life After High School, a show that I you really know, I loved. was thinking of that one, too. I, it's not on my list, but I did consider that. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a wonderful show. Um, it is. And it, it certainly has a lot of humor in it. But uh, but I think that, again, that title to me sounds just a little too jokey uh, for uh, and, and maybe makes you expect something that's going to be like just really really light and jokey and maybe even satirical through through its length but it's not satirical at all it's very heartfelt humor and the kind of humor that anyone who went to high school can relate to um aside from the fact that it's got a phenomenal score by Craig Cornelia phenomenal and um and I I'm sure I, I probably mentioned this before but some years later I was talking to Craig and he said I brought that up. I, I said, um, you know, I said, I, I'm not sure if I think if the, the title was, was that great. And he said, he said, I think the title is fine after you've seen the show. Uh. <laughs> um, and I, I knew exactly what he meant because after you've seen it, it, it really does seem pretty perfect because uh, you can take it in context. But beforehand, maybe it leads you to expect something else. Well, um, to be fair, um, not that they have to do this, but uh, they did inherit the title. That was the name of the book on which the music yes. was based. Correct. You know, so, uh, again, there's no rule why you have to keep the original title, uh, but uh, nevertheless, um, there is a precedence for it. Right. So um, Bernadette Peters was in a show that closed out of town uh, way back early in her career. I'm talking way back when she was a child, because she was a child before me. You probably know that she was... Um, uh, baby, uh, baby or dainty. I think it was dainty June. She was um, in um, in I think a road company of uh, Gypsy. But anyway, she was in a play called This Is Goggle. <laughs> this is Goggle. Now this too was based on a book with that title, so they inherited the title. And for years, um, I was interested uh, to find the original uh, book. And um, one day I couldn't believe my good fortune in a secondhand bookstore, that wonderful one, I don't know the name of it, on um, Upper Broadway, like around the 86th Street. There it was in paperback, but enshrined in um, the plastic, you know, and I thought, oh, this is going to set me back a fortune. Um, I'm, I'm sure even though it's a 35 cent paperback um, when it was released, um, I'm going to have to spend $10 on this. And I was amazed when the guy uh, only charged me three. And then I had to read the book. Well, it's about this precocious Dennis the Menace-like child, and I lost it about seven pages. And um, I just wasn't interested <laughs> in reading about this kid who would drive you crazy, you know. Um, 
those of us who have been parents um, have lived that. We don't need to read that again. Uh, so as a result, um, this is Goggle. Um, I think played only Princeton and maybe Philadelphia, but that was the end of it. And it was an out of town closing. But um, I think the title may have been one reason why people did not want to show up. Hmm. I'm trying to find it and I can only find this is Google. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny how, how things really, uh, you know, later on things really um, change and uh, things that weren't meant to be uh, turn out to be something significant. For example, the lyric in Pippin uh, in no time at all, but Sage's tweet, you know, and now, of course, people tweet um, in a very different way from uh, the way that Stephen Schwartz meant it when he wrote that show. Right. But, um, but another bad title, I think, really, and I think it's hurt the show immeasurably, is 110 in the Shade. And I think it would have done substantially better if it was called Starbuck, mm. uh, or even Starbuck and Lizzie, or even Lizzie. But um, Starbuck is such a strong name. And of course, as we all know, um, yeah. Starbuck uh, certainly is a brand name that uh, has met with a lot of favoritism. And, um, and really, uh, it's a strong word. And, um, and if you didn't want to call it the Rainmaker, because in those days, um, it, it was based on a play called The Rainmaker from the 50s. And here we are in the early 60s. And again, in those days, Broadway was intent on showing you something new. That was important, that this was not the old um, property. This was a new property now, uh, even though it slavishly does um, conform to the original. But um, Starbuck would have been such an exciting town. Now, when, uh, when this show was first announced, I mean, there was actually an ad in the Boston Globe uh, that the show was coming to uh, the Schubert Theater in Boston to try out. Uh, the first ad, uh, it was called Rainbow. That was the um, name of the show originally and uh, to the point of an ad, you know, so that's pretty surprising that it got that far with that title. And I think Rainbow's a better title than 110 in the Shade because really it's not really about the heat. Is it that musical? I don't mm -hmm. think so. You know, so as a result, it really is about these two people who are oil and water. And yet, um, you know, one really helps the other immeasurably and changes her life totally in a way that he didn't expect to or plan to. Um, but he did. So um, so it's a very, very good story. And it's a wonderful musical. But I do think that uh, the reason we don't see it more often is the title. Hmm. So, uh, uh <laughs> I, I have to ask you guys, um, is it the responsibility, uh, especially Peter as a, as a playwright, is it responsibility of the author, the playwright, to choose a name that is marketable? Because I think of the Andrew Lloyd Webber shows, and all of them, uh, I shouldn't say all of them, but many no. of them seem to be well-named for marketing. Yeah, certainly um, not changing Phantom of the Opera was a smart thing. The word Phantom is really one that draws you in. Um, yeah, so, uh, sure. Um, who knows? Uh, yeah, I, I will tell you that um, I have written 22 books. And of the 22 books, uh, I would say mm, 18 have different titles from the ones that I gave it. Um, so, yeah, and sometimes I've agreed and said, ah, oh, ah, you're right. Great. Sometimes I haven't. Like, for example, my book, Strippers, Showgirls, and Sharks, that's the mm -hmm. name of it, that's not my title. This was a book about um, musicals that lost the Tony Award, and I don't think it tells you that from the title at all. Uh, what the um, editor felt was Strippers for Gypsy, Showgirls for Follies, and Sharks for West Side Story, but I don't think that's clear at all, and um, uh, I wanted a title. I think I wanted um, uh, 
and the Tony doesn't go to dot, dot, dot. Mm. Um, that's what I wanted. But um, anyway, you can't fight City Hall. The odds are always with the House, as Dean Martin taught us in Ocean's Eleven. And, <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, I mean, you, you have to give in, you know, I mean, the, because you know that you don't have the power. So um, so I, uh, titles come from here, there and everywhere. And, you know, if we uh, another title I think that really stunk. <laughs> was Away We Go. I think mm. that's such a generic title. And of course, um, Oklahoma is what it became. And I think that was a, a big improvement. Um, ironically enough, that was at the Colonial Theater in Boston. Uh, when En route there, they changed the name. But there's another show that played the Colonial in Boston that changed its name that I think they made a big mistake. The musical was originally, well, let's, let's do the final title first, um, which we called The Firebrand of Florence. Good Lord. Another Kurt Vile show, by the way, um, and um, with his wife, Lottie Lenyon, in it. So the firebrand of Florence. I don't know. That just doesn't sing to me. The original title, they actually had this while they were out of town, was Much Ado About Love. I think that's much better. Hmm. And um, it, it sounds like fun. And of course, you get the Shakespearean um, uh, affinity. And that's good, too. The word love, I don't think ever hurts the title. And I think Here's Love is an excellent title for a musical. Um, this was the musical of Miracle on 34th Street. And surprisingly enough, you know, people always make the joke that um, like uh, 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 um, Gurney, um, uh, Pete Gurney wrote a play um, in which he mentioned uh, there's a musical of the Cherry Orchard called Cherry Exclamation Point. Well, you know, <laughs> people assume that exclamation points are on um, every musical. And uh, I did a study once and there were very few musicals, comparatively speaking, that actually use exclamation points. But you would expect Tears Love would do one. And the irony is the logo of the show <laughs> actually used exclamation points in a way. Um, they had hearts that was stretched to look like exclamation points. But, um, but I think Here's Love is a wonderful title, and um, I wish the show were as good as the title. <laughs> we have some uh, suggestions from our, our listeners here in, in the uh, chat room here. Steve Bell uh, suggested as uh, Wrong Turn at Longfish. Yeah, boy, you yeah. bet. Yeah. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> Aaron Slick from Pumpkin Crick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was that uh, a show before? I know it was a movie. I think it was a play. I think it was a play. And oh, I think okay. it became um, a movie with a couple of songs, as I recall. Yeah. And I, again, I, I'm not saying I'm right, but that's what rings a bell. Uh, something else that was though. widely herald, heralded as a... Uh, as a as a bad title but it's it's one of those things that uh, sure after you see it then it's a good title you're in town yeah you know right. i mean really um <laughs> uh, i still remember being at a party opening night party where the artistic director of the theater got up and said you know you think it's easy being an artistic director but look at this you get <laughs> you, you get scripts like this you're in town and everybody moaned you know and he threw it into the wastebasket ironically enough Ironically enough, the day that you're in town opened, well, the day after, when the review was printed in the Times, it was on the first page of the section. Now, part of this has to do with the fact, of course, the year in town was supposed to open on September 11, 2001. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it was on the front page because it was such a great show. And on the third page was a not so good review of a show that that artistic director had produced. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're in town certainly is an arresting title. And now that we're used to it, um, it doesn't seem nearly as bad. 
But um, it's funny that Peter mentioned, and I completely agree with you about a way we go for Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I, uh, it it entered my mind that one of the absolute best titles I think is "Anything Goes," mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which you could say is generic. But there's something about it that just really so perfectly encapsulates the spirit of that show. Uh, that I think that's a that's a great great title. Um, another show. Uh, that I, I would say is a good title, not maybe especially great, uh, is West Side Story. But it does, um, to me, it, it, it gives you the idea that you're going to see something real, you know, something that mm-hmm. you might I read about you. in the in the newspapers. And certainly it's better than the, uh, I think, was, was the working title, which was incredibly, was Gangway. You know, um, it has been alleged, and this may be revisionist history, mm. but it has been alleged that that's what the creators jokingly called it. Yeah, um, I have heard that. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't mean that that's true, but nevertheless, um, that they um, used to refer to it in that way. But, um, you know, if we really want to get into bad titles, I mean, you know, people criticize Broadway today, and uh, certainly I've been known to do that too. But if you go back way back when, I mean, some of the titles, that we had back then. I mean, uh, uh, Piff Paff Poof, a 1904 musical. <laughs> uh, the um, Lady of Bong Bong, uh, 1905 musical. Twiddle Twaddle, 1906. Nellie Neal. Uh, <coughs> What what is Nellie Neal about? This is worth looking into. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that Nellie is the woman's first name and Neal is her last name. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> but anyway, Hitchy Coo of 1917. Hitchy Coo of 1917 was so well received. There was a Hitchy Coo of 1918 and a Hitchy Coo of 1919. Good Lord. I thought we it, it might be fun to go through the current shows. Um, to uh and give our thoughts as to whether the titles are good or not so i went through uh everything that's still listed as current on yeah right Mm -hmm. which by the way um i noticed includes for example diana um and also the minutes is still listed there so Mm -hmm. i guess that you know Mm -hmm. obviously obviously people have other Things to do, and they and it hasn't. Well, been I'm. Uh, there was news this week on Diana that uh, right, Diana, sure. You know, Diana is going to be filmed with a, an empty theater and uh, presented on Netflix, and then they still do have plans to reopen it or yes. to open it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just meant that. Uh, interesting. It is still listed there, but in the case of the minutes, uh, that was oh yeah, the minutes closed, is right? closed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so anyway, there were a few others I know. Ain't Too Proud, I thought from the beginning, is not a great title. Uh, mm-hmm. And I guess they chose it because of the titles of the hits that The Temptations had. They thought that was the most workable one and also would put them uh, first or way up in the alphabetical listings <laughs> of uh, mm. shows that appear, that still appear in, you know, in various places. Um, I still think they they should have just called it the Temptations, but whatever. Um, come well, from yeah, a, I agree with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Come from away is interesting. I I think that's a good title because it's intriguing. It you might think um, if you don't know the expression, 
that apparently they use in the in that part of the world it it, it might sound ungrammatical to you mm-hmm. and so you might wonder about that but i think it's just intriguing enough that that it's a good title uh and makes you want to know more about it um dear evan hansen as i said for i i really love love the show overall but i think that title is awful because i don't think Teenagers nowadays use "dear" as a salutation, oh, and also, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've said this before, and I also don't think that anyone ever addresses a, a personal letter to anyone using their full name. So I really wish they had called that something else. I don't know, waving through a window. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, Diana is. Uh, uh, obviously a good title for branding purposes. And that goes back to James's previous question. I mean, nowadays, if something is based on, on, a, on a popular source material, there's no way nowadays that they're going to change the title because they want to capitalize on that as much as possible. I don't think there was any way that Mean Girls, for example, wasn't going to be called Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, where- uh, let me interrupt you for a second uh, because... You know, when company first came out, mm. it meant something very different than company. If company was written today and the title was called company, you would think it would be like a play like The Office, the television show. Oh, yeah. Maybe. You know, <laughs> but doesn't, you know, we don't use the word company. Well, I shouldn't say we, I should say I, I don't use the word company as being in my vernacular of saying in the yeah, company of others. Yeah, yeah come to think of it, I, I hadn't thought of that. I, I, I guess I don't use it that much anymore either. I remember uh, the day of, of the night I was going to see company and my wife and I saying, gee, I wonder, is this about a company? I, it, we came up with so many meanings of the word <laughs> How to company. succeed in business, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's a and, great and, we, title. and we did not come up with, uh, with the company that we uh, actually wound up having. So uh, again, the metaphor of how company was so surprising in those days. Whatever you are doing, whether you're working from home watching online shows, or getting in some exercise, you need a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds start about half the price of any premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing as the other top audio brands you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, and more bass. Raycon wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or binging Broadway Radio's podcasts. I have earbuds in all day long as I'm listening to podcasts or to music or I'm on a call. Wireless earbuds have changed my life and I'm not just being dramatic, they really have. I've been using my Raycons for about two months now, and the number one thing that I like best is the battery life. Before Raycon, I was constantly concerned about my earbuds' battery dying. Not anymore. The company was co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Melissa Etheridge, Brandy, and J.R. Smith are obsessed with their Raycons. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash broadwayradio. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash broadwayradio for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash broadwayradio. And use the code BROADWAY15 for 15% off. Thanks to Raycon for their continued support of Broadway Radio. We still haven't mentioned the worst of them all, you know, for a musical. Uh, and this is another one that changed its title after it was out of town because it was originally called Odyssey because it was based on the Odyssey. 
but it became Home Sweet Homer. <laughs> and this is the type of title the people who hate musicals would use as exhibit A of how stupid musicals are. I remember um, a guy once said to me during the um, uh, Iranian hostage crisis, hey, why uh, this should be a musical called Iran, Iran uh, about the uh, Ayatollah. And I thought, isn't it interesting that he perceives that as a musical? Why doesn't he say this should be a novel called Iran, Iran, a movie, Iran, Iran, a TV series, Iran, Iran, because of things like Home Sweet Homer. Um, you have uh, <laughs> suggestions like that, because, again, people who don't like musicals uh, assume they're all silly and superficial and what have you. And Home Sweet Homer played right into that. Um, it was a show that didn't even last one night. It lasted one afternoon. It played a matinee and closed Sunday <laughs> afternoon, and that was the end of it, even though Yul Brynner was in it. I saw it its first week out in uh, the Kennedy Center in Washington, and I thought it had potential. Um, but supposedly it was, one, it was out for a year um, before it came in. And uh, like Good News, a revival of Good News that was so terrific the first week in Boston. Uh, they should have come right in. They would have been... But, you know, they keep on... We have enough time to work on it. We have enough time to work on it. We don't have to do this now. And you know, suddenly they, nothing happens or it just gets worse and devolves. So um, Home Sweet Homer, I really re think, is the worst title ever for a Broadway musical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Michael, let's go back to your list of uh, current shows. Oh, yeah. Um, Hades Town, I like. I think that's a good one. Mm -hmm. It gives you a, you know, a sort of a vague idea of what you're going to get. Um, and... Uh, is is very intriguing as well. Uh, Hamilton uh, just says tell, tells yeah. you exactly yeah. what it is, and and just now it's don't, yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Jagged Little Pill is a really good title, I think. Hmm. Um, yeah. it, it gives you the idea that it's probably going to be about drugs, and it's going to be about their well, negative effects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I hate the addition of Harper Lee's name to To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, especially because... It's Aaron Sorkin. So, so drastically rewritten by Aaron mm. Sorkin. And Wicked, um, I think, is a really good title mm. because the show is a, largely about what exactly do you mean when you say wicked mm -hmm. and also how different people can perceive uh, different people differently. <laughs> um, and someone might be perceived as wicked by one person, but then you find out that person's backstory and it's absolutely not the case. Uh, I think a play that um, has a bad title, nevertheless, it was such a good play that it uh, overcame it. And that's Butterflies Are Free. Mm. Um, it, it, mm. The story has nothing to do with that whatsoever. Mm. Um, nothing. Uh, it's, it's a passing line. Uh, a guy's writing a song that, uh, by that title. But I think it's such a strange title. Um, but um, nevertheless, the, the play was uh, just uh, too terrific to be ignored. Um, the Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd, I think is a bad title. Um, and of course, the first time I mentioned it to somebody, he said, no, 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 no. You mean the smell of the grease paint, the roar of the crowd. And the fact that those words were juxtaposed, <laughs> I think is a problem. Another title, I think, that really affected the show itself. And it would have been a better show if indeed it had retained its original title. The original title was Cat and Mouse. And it was about a, a, a young socialite who was a cat burglar. Um, she used to go around steal jewelry and a policeman is put on the case who is really a very nebbishy guy. He's a mouse. 
So cat and mouse. Unfortunately, it became drat the cat and drat the cat with um, suddenly that stylization of drat affected the way the show was done. Mm. It was done in a very um, Keystone Copsy type style. And that hurt the show because suddenly you had to validate your title. If it were cat and mouse, I don't think it would have had that stylization. I think it would have been far more successful. That's so interesting that you mentioned Butterflies Are Free. As I've said, I directed a production of it years ago. And I I would say maybe that's another example where after you see the show, Uh the title Mm -hmm. is okay. Because then... I mean, it's actually a quote from uh, Dickens. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I got confused because I know there's another place in the in the play where they quote uh, Dylan Thomas, but that's another line. Yeah, mm. no, Dickens. Yes, and uh, but it applies to butterflies are free because uh-huh. actually, in a way, it applies mm. to both characters, but primarily to the main character Don Baker because he is has been blind since birth and he's trying to finally. Um, kind of go out in the world and, and, uh, you know, escape his mother, who's been incredibly protective of him uh, throughout his life. So he is the butterfly and he's uh, trying to spread his wings in a way. Why do you think we haven't seen a revival of that? Well, it's very 60s. Um, uh, it, um, it's very much of its time. And it, I, I think it can still work if you really establish, you know, play a good half hour's worth of songs from 1969 before the curtain goes up. But there's a hippie element to it um, that um, I think may um, be a bit problematic. But I do think it's worth a try, and I think somebody should do it. Uh, going from Butterflies to Barracudas... There was a play called um, Time of the Barracudas, and that one closed out of town as well. But, you know, considering the fact that Elaine Stritch was in it, you know, Barracudas may not be such an inept word for what um, went on uh, with it, because um, one knows that Elaine Stritch could indeed be a Barracuda at times. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so that would have uh, uh, a musical that has a wonderful half of a score, not a whole score, Quamina. But Quamen is a bad title. It's not audience friendly. You know, a K and a W starting a word. Boy, that's off-putting. Quamen was the actual name of the character um, who was um, from um, deepest Africa who goes to England and uh, um, goes to school there and and becomes somebody he wasn't originally. Um, And it's it's also the love story of a black man and a white woman. Um, The songs by Richard Adler for the tribal element are sensational beyond belief. Every one of them is magnificent. The songs he wrote for his wife, Sally Ann Howes, uh, wife at the time, she wound up having an affair with her um, leading man um, um, in Toronto. Talk about trouble out of town. Anyway, um, uh, they're, they're very uh, mediocre, but uh, boy, um, he really rose to the occasion for um, doing the uh, tribal songs. They're magnificent. Aquaman is a bad title. Yeah, we've uh, had uh, uh, quite the week this week with uh, Kamala Harris being nominated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, and our our good dear friends over at Fox News having such a problem pronouncing her name because it's very hard to pronounce. <laughs> so, <laughs> someone uh, apparently has written a, p- a parody of Camelot. Ah. With her name, because that that it, it is supposed to be Kamala, isn't it? Yeah, Kamala. 
which uh-huh. so it, it actually that would be a way for people to remember it if they care to. It it is the same rhythm. As was it like Camelot. a Randy Rainbow or um no. Yeah. Uh, well, it was on all that chat, and I get the impression it was um, someone else. I think. Yeah, I get that impression. I uh-huh. can say for sure. sure. Ironically, Camelot is on my list of the best titles. Hmm. I think it's a beautiful word, and I think Cabaret is a wonderful title because it's a beautiful word as well. I also think the word Baltimore is a beautiful word, and as a result, the Hot L Baltimore I think is an excellent title. Um, again, um, it's arresting because you say, "What's Hot L?" Well, it's supposed to be a hotel, but the E has burned out. Mm. Of um, <laughs> of of the um, of, of sure. the signs, so that's why it's the Hot L Baltimore. Um, there was even a TV series uh, based on uh, at least a pilot. I don't know if it made it to series, but it was a pilot, and I remember seeing it. And they actually had um, the sign with with the E lit and then they had it go out, you know, so it became hot L Baltimore, but uh, Baltimore, I think is one of the greatest uh, words in the, in the English language. Peter, how about six rooms review? Yeah. Um, I, I think people knew what was going on there. Um, enough of us have read real estate sections um, to know <laughs> what was going on. Uh, so I don't think that's a bad one. No, um, no, I don't think so either. Yeah. Um, you know, but you it, it. yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I didn't much like the, play i remember when i saw it but um but even though you know jerry obeck and jane alexander two phenomenal pros um doing it um but uh it was just an okay show um i think that got a tv uh production as well i think mm, I, I don't really remember i don't really remember two uh, more two more um Beautiful titles, excellent titles, I would say, are to Rogers and Hammerstein, The Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, it's, you know, it, it sounds generic. 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 Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, and I guess maybe if you don't know it, uh, but of course now it's hard to, everyone knows it, so it's hard to remember what, how we felt about it when we didn't know the show. But it is uh, about largely about the power of music and how beauty in the world can sort of counteract or or fight against evil. Um, So I think that's a beautiful title. And then, but the best one of all may be Carousel because uh, it's the the wonderful way in which a carousel is the metaphor for Hmm. the world turning and, and uh, you know, the cyclical nature of, of, of our existence and, and uh, the world spinning on its axis. I, I, I think that's a, you know, so the, the carousel is almost a microcosm of the, the earth itself. Mm. I totally agree with you. Peter, how come you have not brought up Grand Hotel? Ah, yes. Uh, an excellent title and an excellent mm. musical, by the way. But um, yes, it is. It's a, it's a very good one. I guess I was concentrating on what I was going to say next, which um, <laughs> which was a musical that didn't get on, uh, but it came so close to getting on. And it was about a spy, a, a female spy. Um, and that uh, it was called Tits Diamond because um, she was very well endowed. Mark Bramble wrote it. Um, and um, I remember <laughs> Akka's audition. And uh, well, anyway, however, however, if we're going to talk about female spies, of course, that brings us to Mata Hari. Not a bad title, not an exciting title, but not a bad title. But I think when the rewrite came out a year later, Ballad for a Firing Squad, I think is a bad title. And it's too bad because this is a magnificent score. 
magnificent. And again, I wish the album had not been recorded with a synthesizer, but with a piano, because as I've said before, if it were with a piano, I would listen to it each and every day in my life. It's uh, So if you can get past that, I really recommend tracking down a copy of what is called Matahari, um, uh, when it was uh, made many moons later after um, a, a production at the York. So, um, but um, I don't know. What do you think about bagels and yorks? By OX? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you can say, well, you know, you know, you know, you're seeing a, a, a good, funny Jewish show. I mean, um, but uh, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a good one or a bad one. You know, I'm not sure if Urban Blight is a good one or a bad one. Um, it sounds like it's going to be serious in many ways. And it, this was a review. Um, the wonderful song Miss Bird um, by Maltby mm. and Shire that showed up in Closer Than Ever and really became a signature song for Sally Mays. I remember going to her uh, nightclub act at the... Um, the much more firebird on 46th street of classy, classy place. Um, and when she started singing, when the vamp actually happened to miss bird, the audience burst into applause, you know, because they knew it was her song. And, um, and, but anyway, urban blight, I don't know, you know, uh, do we take that seriously? I mean, do we, do we mm. see the title urban blight and say, this must be a serious show about how terrible things have become in the city. Or do we say, Oh, they must mean that in a, in a, in a funny way. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Grand Hotel James, I think, is another excellent example of a, a, a microcosm title. Yeah. Uh, you know, people check in and out of a hotel the same way people check in and out of the world. Mm. Um, and, out, and, and, and maybe the greatest ever example of that is Our Town, um, mm. which achieves yeah. such incredible universality through s- such specificity to this very small, specific place in um in the northeast uh i i i always think i'm sure um people disagree with me and it has been done other ways but to me the most effective productions of that are the ones that really try to painstakingly recreate uh the way people act and talk uh, talked in in that specific time and place because (laughs) that's the way you know that that's the way that um that Thornton Wilder chose to do it as opposed to, um, you know, for example, in even if the skin of our teeth is, is much different. Uh, and in fact, I was going to name that as one of my favorite titles. Go ahead. Mm, yeah, no, no, please go on. No, no, no. Um, I'm done. You know, as far as that's concerned, uh, but it, <laughs> it is, it, it's, it's a wonderful phrase and it certainly fits what's going on. Yes. Um, I guess the title Louis the 14th, would be misleading. Um, if you thought you were going to see a show called Louis the Fourteenth, I'm sure you would have certain expectations in mind. This was actually a musical uh, in the twenties, I believe, about a woman who was throwing a dinner party, and at the last minute, somebody canceled. And oh my God, uh, the thing is that she had invited seven couples, so she had fourteen people, mm. and now suddenly. One was sick, and that made 13, and 13 is an unlucky number. What is she going to do? So she called her friend Louis, and Louis came, and he was Louis the Fourteenth. <laughs> well, along those lines, uh, we have a new musical called Six, which right. doesn't lend itself to telling us what it's really about. And also, I, I laughed during our town as your description uh, talked about, uh, you know, pulling back the covers uh, of the society at that point. And I think of Girl from the North Country and how that 
<laughs> for me at least down at the public did not match and then I was very surprised about a transfer but um, yeah you know girl from the north country is, is that a good uh, title that represents that show I wasn't I was going to comment on that but I decided I, I really don't know enough about Bob Dylan uh, and how people perceive him to to make that judgment so I'll leave that to other people well you know again is it at, when you're taking the Bob Dylan music or the Bob Dylan lyrics right. uh, and putting it on a Broadway stage, it becomes, a, you know, more important that it's related to Broadway than it is related to Bob Dylan, in my opinion. It's sort of like, you know, Mamma Mia, the, uh, it was, uh, I, I don't, uh, certainly it's in that ABBA form, uh, but it's really a Broadway show. Yeah. So, uh, you know, is Girl from the North Country trying to hold on to Dylan, or is it trying to be a Broadway, it, it trying to, you know, become a Broadway property? So, and, and we'll have to see as things, you know, resume in 2021, what's, what's going to happen there. Uh, Steve Bell gave us a few others that I want to get your opinion on. The sure. Zulu and the Zeta. Zeta. <laughs> okay. This was also based on, on a, a previous property, which had a different name. When um, It wasn't called the Zulu and the Zeta. It was called the Zeta and the Zulu. Well, anyway, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and the education of Duddy Kravitz. Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. The apprenticeship. Uh, I've got uh, it wrong. Steve fixed it and I got it wrong. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. Uh, a very good musical by uh, Alan Menken and David Spencer. Very good indeed. It was done in Montreal, I think, uh, a little while ago. And um, it's too bad. I, I, it, is, it is a lengthy title. And um, unless you have a funny lengthy title like How to Succeed or A Funny Thing Happened, um, I think it is a problem. And um, for a while it was called Duddy, but that wasn't when those guys were working on it. Ironically enough, Lieber and Stoller hmm. were working on it. But I think Duddy is a problem, too, because it does indicate, you know, a dud, you know. So. Fuddy Duddy. Fuddy Duddy. Yeah, now you have it. That's That, that would fit right in with uh, Twiddle Twaddle and Nelly Neal. Poo, poo, poo. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, did Steve give any others? Uh, J- Anthony, uh, Tony Janicki threw in Goldilocks, which was a strange oh. title. Absolutely true. Good for you, Tony. Um, hmm. The problem with Goldilocks, of course, is to suggest a children's show. And this was a really nice and sophisticated musical uh, in many, many respects, um, dealing with the early days of the um, movie industry when it was still in the story and they hadn't moved to California yet and about a guy who will do anything to get his movie on. And he wants um, a, a stage actress who's about to get married and retire to um, to come on uh, with him. And um, she was played by Elaine Stritch. And um, it's a phenomenal score by Leroy Anderson um, and ironically enough Walter Kerr and Gene Kerr uh, worked on it as well I, I worked on it sounds like they doctored it no no they were they were actually the uh, people of record who uh, who um, did um, so much of it and the thing is that um, it's a terrific album but one has to wonder um, if indeed any of the melodies were melodies that Leroy Anderson had left over from when he had written his version of Wonderful Town. Um, he had uh, he was the original songwriter on that um, with Arnold Torwood, and 
everybody who went to the backers audition said, um, yeah, yeah, uh, it's going to be great. Russ is Russ Russell is going to be great. But even though the music's not so hot, but it's all right. It's going to be a hit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a hit. Mm-hmm. And after a while, they said, well, if everybody doesn't like the music, maybe we should get somebody else. And that's why they said to Leonard Bernstein, Comden and Green, will you do it? You have three weeks. And um, and, you know, if they said you have a year, I think they might not have done it. It was the idea of let's see if we can do it. Let's challenge ourselves, which is interesting. But I've often wondered if indeed any of the songs that Leroy Anderson wrote for um, Wonderful Town turned up in Goldilocks. If so, nobody's going to tell me that <laughs> that, that Wonderful Town score, <laughs> the music at least, wasn't good because um, mm. I think the Goldilocks score is very good. But yeah, yeah, why use that um, that title um, when indeed um, it uh, suggests something completely different? Rob Johnson has uh, put forth the notion of the Loman family picnic. What do we think of that title? Yeah, I can see that point too. Um, I imagine anybody who knows Death of a Salesman does think of Loman as a downer. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, the irony of Family Picnic you know, suggests we're going to see the Loman family in happier times. So uh, what do you think, Michael? Do you have any feelings about that one? Oh, you know, I did not see the show. Oh, I see. How so about I, Goldilocks? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, yes, I agree. And many people have said that over the years. Um, it's it's sad when you think that it could come down to the title. And uh, oh, and how about this for a title that was practically suicide? Hookum. Hookum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. C-H-U-C-H-E-M, but yeah. it's pronounced um, Hukum, um, which is Yiddish for wise man. But um, And it's yeah. the first Chinese Jewish musical uh, <laughs> set in China 600 years ago. Uh, book by Ted Allen, music by Mitch Lee, lyrics by Jim Haynes and Jack Wohl. Uh, 45 performances in 1989. Excuse uh, me. You, do you know it closed out of town in 1966, 67, 66, I think. Do you know about that? <laughs> it was first done then. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I'm just reading it, what's. Yeah, um, yeah. It was done in Philadelphia. Uh, Menasha Skolnick and uh, Molly Pecan. Menashe's back and Molly's got him. Um, and this is the show where she famously quit during intermission and her understudy had to go on. Um, <laughs> Goldilocks reminds me of uh, when, when I was uh, producing, uh, I uh, met up with a really talented guy named uh, Neil Berg. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. And oh, yeah. uh, uh, Neil showed me his uh, musical, The Prince and the Pauper. Uh-huh. And uh, I, we did readings, we did workshops, did some uh, productions of it and things like that. And I kept on thinking to myself, whenever we, in, whenever, when we did the productions, we did production at the Irvington Town Hall Theater, we did a production at Queen's Theater in the Park, and people thought they were coming to a children's show. And, uh, and that was one of the things that we ran up against with The Prince and the Pauper. And eventually, uh, Carolyn Rossi, Rossi Copeland had produced it off-Broadway uh, for Neil uh, a few years later. And, they, and I think they ran into that same problem. I always was like, yeah, The Prince and the Pauper is a really well-known name. Mm. But I think that we need to change this name. And it, was never, it never got off the ground. But I felt from a marketing standpoint, it was hard to say it was an adult show. Uh, that happened to have two kids in it versus being children's theater. So, 
a show that sort of predates my um, interest in musicals. I would have liked to have been around then paying attention to what was going on um, to find out what what the um, thought process was behind this, because the show was originally called Anatole and Me, A-N-A-T-O-L mm. and Me. And uh, that's Anatole was the main character and Me refers to uh, the woman in his life. Um, he had many women in his life. And I think uh, for a while, they even talked about having Barbara Cook play all the women in the show, <laughs> but she did wind up being the one who um, got the guy, got Anatole. But, um, you know, if you even get a, a copy of the best plays book from um, the year before this, I guess it's the 60, 61 season. They, I think it's the only time this book ever did this. They listed um, shows that were coming in. Not many, I think just about four, but that's where I saw the title was called Anatole and Me. When it wound up on Broadway, it was called The Gay Life. Now, it's 61. And, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if people in, in the general public um, thought of gay as meaning homosexual. But nevertheless, I still remember um, my cousin, uh, who was about 15, 16 years old, coming um, to my uh, house and seeing the copy there and saying, oh, gay life. I mean, uh, 15 years old in, in, in 62, you know, um, knowing that uh, that's what that meant. Ironically enough, as time has gone on, they've changed the title. Mm. And the title is now called The High Life. Well, you know, I mean, that sort of sounds like we're talking about drugs. You know, I mean, um, ironically enough, Dude, uh, the very famous 1972 disaster musical was called, uh, subtitled The Highway Life, you know, and uh, believe me, that had more to do with uh, drugs, I am sure, even though I missed it, because they canceled <laughs> the performance that I was supposed to see. Um, but uh, I do think uh, Anatole and Me is a much more interesting title than The Gay Life and certainly um, is more in line with what the show is about. Tony Janicki. Yeah. Uh, Tony Janicki asks uh, what you think of the uh, title Allegro. Um, I, I, it's musical, God knows, you know, so, um, so I do understand it from that uh, vantage point, but I bet it was a little weird for the time. You know, we're talking about 1947. Mm. I bet it was, you know, so, um, for people who know what the term means, I think it's an excellent title. If sure. you don't, then obviously mm-hmm. it's going to be kind of confusing. Mm. Um, me and Juliet, which first of all, that title is interesting. Why did they decide to you know, make it ungrammatical like that. Huh? Yeah. I mean, is that supposed to be the way someone talks in that? I, I wonder if that's even a comment on Broadway musicals that they're um, so carefree. Who knows? Maybe and me and Julia. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. And, and uh, the reason I brought it up is because that has a song called Keep It Gay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, in fact, <laughs> yeah. that motivated my column. I, I talked about the fact that um, so many um, songs in Broadway musicals have uh, titles that have been used time and time again, like Home. There have been so many songs called Home and The Wiz, Phantom, not Phantom of the Opera, Phantom, uh, Maury Esten Show, there's a song called Home. Uh, there are plenty of songs called Home, but there are two songs called Keep It Gay, and one's in Me and Juliet, and it doesn't mean what it means in the producers. Um, it, it just means Keep It Happy back in 1953. So, uh, yeah, that was... Um, um, <laughs> that's what actually spurred my column. Maybe uh, in Me and Juliet, uh, Larry is just everything is all about him. So that's why he put himself first. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I was just wondering if we're supposed like to guest on. He would yeah. speak <laughs> ungrammatically that way. I, I guess he's not supposed to be an intellectual. So you might say that he might say that. 
I think um, Kiss Me Kate's a great title. Um, and it yeah. comes from Shakespeare, you know, I mean, so uh, I, 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 think, I think it's a very nice title. And you know what, if I could end um, for me on, a, on a, a very recent one, I think a really excellent title was Romeo and Bernadette. Uh-huh. <laughs> there again, it, you know, it just gives you an idea that it's going to be some kind of modern riff yeah. on Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it gives you the idea that it's going to be a lot of fun. I agree. Um, it was, and too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was. And, and another uh, Shakespeare one, that uh, Shakespeare-based musical that falls in that same category is The Boys from Syracuse. Which had a, a, a double meaning at the time because right. uh, the Schubert's yeah. were well known as the boys from Syracuse, yeah. and so uh, so it uh, uh, anybody who was an insider then knew about that. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, there there are plenty of good ones and bad ones, uh, good times and bum titles. Uh, <laughs> we've seen them all, <laughs> and we're here. All right, so let's uh, wrap up for today. Before we get on to trivia, I want to remind you that you could subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to Apple Podcasts to get us. You can get us in many different ways. iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia yeah um when peter allen did his 1979 show up in one there was a voiceover credited to vernon gersh <laughs> those who know they're playing our song are aware that vernon gersh was the name of the character klein originated and was then playing in the 1979 hit musical to mask his identity as the voiceover artist Klein chose to use his character's name and not his own. So that is the answer to the question, when did Peter Allen and Robert Klein work together on Broadway Hmm. and on what show? Tony Janicki, after weeks of being an also-ran, reclaimed his first-place crown, followed only by Richard Carey and Brigadude. So those were the only three. Okay, this week's question. This performer appeared in a show, but not for long that later won a Best Musical Tony. Fifteen years later, in yet another Best Musical Tony winner, this same performer was mentioned by name in a song. Who's the performer? What are the two shows? And what's the song that mentions the name? Hmm. All right. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.